There he is. Okay, no, I just realized I forgot to check to see where we left off. Yes, I was going to ask you that, as a matter of fact, all day long today. Um, it's the page where that has the uh, the blue image of Thanos on the side, and then like the six panels to the left of it with the gotcha. controller and Rick Jones. Ah, gotcha. Okay, so we are on page... Uh, Lord only knows. <laughs> uh, I have it down at eight, but that's without. Okay. That's just that's page eight of story. If you're re- if yours has ads or anything, I can't help you with that. Okay, no, 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 no. Well, I, I'm I'm reading it on Marvel Unlimited, where they no longer um, give you page numbers. So let's see. I'm actually let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yes, it is eight out of. Uh, 19. 19. 8, 8, 8 of 19. So, we have, uh, uh, 11 more pages to get through. In our, in, in our, we can do this. We can do it. Although, although I, you know, I, I felt bad because I had actually meant to find my, uh, my files from last week and give them a listen and I completely forgot to do it before I left the house, so. I um I, I I cannot remind myself like what what I was what I was banging on about thematically. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Okay, that's fine. Captain Marvel 29, Metamorphosis, had a cover date of November 1973, an original release date of August 21st, 1973, with a cover price of 20 cents. The writer, penciler, and colorist is Jim Starlin, inker, Al Milgram, letterer, Tom Warshevsky, editor, Roy Thomas, cover art by Jim Starlin and Al Milgram. Marvell finds himself somewhere in space facing a bizarre-looking entity who says that his life's mission is to destroy Captain Marvel the Warrior. Marvel only has time for a brief flashback before his attention is commanded by this being known as Eon. Eon tells him that Captain Marvel the Warrior must die so that the universe can live. When Marvel asks Eon why, Eon shows him the truth. The truth is that Marvel's real enemies are his own personal demons within. Here, these demons are able to physically attack Marvel. Marvel again asks why Eon is causing this, and Eon tells him because the universe needs a champion. It needs him to be that champion. But first, he must change in order to fulfill this role. First, Eon tells him his story. This story starts in ancient times, at Olympus, where Uranus and his warlike titans fight against Cronus and his more peaceful titans. Finally, Uranus was defeated, and he and his army banished from the earth. Cronus leaves those still on earth in peace and has two sons, Zeus and Alars. 
While doing research into the cosmos, there was an accident, and Cronus's body was destroyed, although he became one with the universe. Not a euphemism, by the way. He actually became a cosmic being. With their father gone, Zeus took control and kicked the Lars off-planet. Wandering through space, a Lars came to Titan and found a ruined civilization there and a lone survivor, a woman named Suisan. They wed and restarted the society on Titan, with a Lars renaming himself Mentor. We pause in Eon's exposition for a minute to check in on Thanos, who is on Titan and has his father, Mentor, ah, see, and brother, Eros, captive. Using the Cosmic Cube, Thanos attempts to find Captain Marvel. He can find Drax, the controller, and Rick Jones, but cannot find Marvel. Going back to wherever Marvel and Eon are, Eon reveals that Cronus was able to foresee Thanos' coming and that a champion would be needed to stop him. He created Eon for the purpose of raiding that champion. Basically, Eon is Mickey to Captain Marvel's Rocky. However, Captain Marvel is currently a warrior, and what the universe needs is a protector. Eon shows Marvel images of the horrors of war and goes over how some of his battles as a warrior were not for protection at all, until Marvel is ready to change. Eon then changes some of Marvel's abilities. He is now cosmically aware and can expand that awareness to sharpen his senses or reflexes, as well as permanently changing his hair from silver to blonde. Marvel then faces the physical form of his demons once again, but this time beats them. Eon then sends him back to Earth, where he switches places with Rick Jones again. He then tells Rick that he had a strange experience, and it has started him to think, which is perhaps what he really needed. On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions... He likes it! He likes it! Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson... J. David Weider... And... Michael Kaiser... Take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right, or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures falling from the sky, speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. 
Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The new 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libsyn.com. I was think I was thinking we were sort of ramping into something that you could sort of yeah because it's this change for like you said Silver even with Kirby I mean maybe not counting like his collages and stuff mm-hmm. that's different but it was still with the same old four panels in a row right exactly it was it was it was I don't want to like Kirby was dynamic don't get me wrong Kirby was dynamic but I just I really got the sense. With you, you go back and you read the Silver Age for whatever technical or printing reasons, or just for whatever reason, they were very regular, very laid out, very square laid out. So these sort of border breaking uh, innovations that we're seeing out of Starlin's art here and pushing to be in complete control of yeah. the creative process because he's writing and drawing and unless I miss my guess coloring as well I think the only thing he's not doing here is he's only thing he's not doing here is inking Uh, yeah page one story pencil colors yep and then Milgram does the inks and Orzachowski does the lettering Um, which it's funny I was just thinking that this week because you know who else uh, um, pencils and colors is uh, Chris Bocciolo I did not um, do that. Yeah, neither did I. I've only recently started like paying attention to who's coloring what. Um, and uh, when I was looking back at the uh, newest uh, issues of Doctor Strange, Chris Bocciolo, who was uh, the, the artist on that, along with Jason Aaron writing, um, he do- also does coloring. And for whatever reason, and I think it probably has something to do with work rate or deadlines, he has a, a veritable army of inkers. Some issues have like six inkers oh, involved. Oh. But he's the he's the penciler and the colorist, so there you so go. So that consistency. Yes. Yeah. So this is definitely a change showing the bronze change into the bronze age. The one. Yeah. I'm wondering though, because we were talking about the you know when you were talking flowery, and I said it's mm-hmm. the bronze age. I almost wonder because I mean back then I mean Stan did, but he wasn't the only one. Everyone did it. They would tell you what was happening in the picture you were seeing. Yes. So if someone was punching somebody, they would tell you they hit them. It's like yeah, because I can see that. Yeah, I almost wonder at the Bronze Age if because so many of the Bronze Age writers now that we think of Englehart, Gerber, Starlin, etc., grew up on those comics. You know, these are like really the first generation of Roy Thomas. These are really the first generation of comic fans becoming right. professionals. Yes, I wonder if they kind of like recognize that that you didn't need to say what was happening in the art if the art's clearly telling you what's happening, but they still felt like but that's the correct number of words and you know verbiage that must be on the page so i gotta do something else yeah you know um because the type of prose would got you know would change from just being descriptive to like being very flowery and philosophical let's say but it would still be the same amount you had before it well i think that part for for the that is a good observation and i think truthfully it's most likely going to vary from uh book to book because don't forget this is I mean, here with Starlin writing and drawing, it's going to be a different sort of beast from 
um, another book, especially a book that's a little more work for hire, that's a little less of a, a passion project. Like just as a, for instance, let us, um, go with Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Around this time, this is what, 1973, I believe we determined. Yeah. Okay. So in 1973, unless I'm misremembering and I may very well be, um, this was the point at which Jerry Conway was writing Amazing Spider-Man, and uh, I believe it was the early days of Ross Andrew Probably. Uh, drawing. So my point being, as I as I sort of get into this, and this is something I, I talked about in uh, something I wrote for uh, uh, my Podwitz website a couple of years back, um, it has to do a bit with the Marvel method. So I know at least in the 60s, when Stan was doing all the writing, um you could obviously tell in a lot of those cases that, that what you're talking about was happening, that something would be happening in the panel and people would be shouting at each other what what's happening in the panel, even though you can clearly see it happening. I think a lot of that has to do with um, the Marvel method, which was, you know, Stan calling up the artist uh, and giving them a little rundown of the plot on the phone, the artist going and fleshing it out and doing the bulk of the um, event to event storytelling in the process of penciling it and then returning those penciled pages to Stan for dialogue edition. And I think if Stan had just sort of glossed over something and the right and the artist had had a brilliant idea and had decided to, you know, put that, brilliant idea into the art and Stan didn't like it or didn't get it or just plain had a different idea or whatever, he would in a way like dialogue over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah maybe it was intended here to be like, I think of one, I think of a, the, the most famous example that I can think of in my head. And one I actually cited in the article I wrote was um, in uh, an issue of fantastic four where uh, the one where they, they met, um, uh, Prester John and found the evil eye for the first time. Oh, yeah, like 53 or something. 53, yeah, some, somewhere around the somewhere black in there. Right, right, exactly. So, so, uh, Wyatt and, uh, Johnny had gone off somewhere and they found the evil eye with this, uh, skeleton, right? And, um, they, uh, or, or, or the body or whatever. But anyway, my point is there was a, a panel where it's just a close-up of the two of their faces, and um, they're just shouting what would have, in any other comic book, been like two pages of event, of action, is is being conveyed entirely in this one panel of two close-up faces and just a shit ton of dialogue. <laughs> and I'm thinking that's because... Like Kirby had decided that this sequence of events was going to play out this way. And Stan was like, no, I want to very much make it happen in this way. So he just bulldozed with dialogue through the artwork to make it all happen the way he wanted to. So I think in the now I know these days the Marvel method is not used anywhere. Everybody's working full script these days. But I think in uh, the early 70s. In many instances, if not all, the Marvel method was still in effect just for reasons of um, production line, you know, of, of getting the pages turned out uh, in a reasonably uh, timely fashion in order to keep the, the books rolling off the printing press. So I think that for like, as I used in an example, Amazing Spider-Man, Conway was probably giving a rough 
overall plot to Andrew, who was then fleshing it out, and then it would go back for dialogue. And I think the unavoidable side effect of that way of making comics is going to be that sort of dialoguing effect that you're talking about. But that's almost right. But I'm also and I'm almost done with my long-winded digression here. <laughs> um, the. Uh, with this book specifically and with others of its ilk, I, I, which I can't think of any off the top of my head that were going on like that at this particular time. But with this particular book, Starlin is writing and drawing it himself. So he is conceiving of the plot, the pictures, the dialogue, pretty much all at his own pace in his own like sort of uh, uh, one uh, process. So I think in this case, it's as wordy as it is. And as dialogue-driven as it it is, not for production reasons, but just because he had a philosophical point that he was clearly trying to get across with this issue and with this story and with this whole arc. And I think he wanted to make it very, very clear to the reader what that philosophical point was. So so, so here's all these words of people talking at each other and explaining. I, I mean, that might be right, because this is probably, though, the only one of them. I mean, I'm, I'm looking through a list of Marvel books for that month right now. And by the way, you were, I was, I thought, I thought I was right about what year it was for 73. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it was, you're right, because it is Gary Conway and Ross Andrew, because uh, guess who just died a few months ago? Ah, uh, Gwen Stacy just died. And Norman. And Norman Osborn, although uh, Andrew wasn't drawing then at that point. That was uh, Gil Kane drew that. Oh, it's Gil Kane, okay. So I believe Gil Kane drew those issues. Oh, well, it is Andrew at this point. This is issue 126 where he writes the kangaroo. Yes, yes. So that was, right around the, that was right around the time he started. And that was, that was I mean, apropos of nothing, and uh, I'm going to let you finish, but uh, just, just for the, the edification of the listener, um, yeah. like when I started, I started reading Spider-Man with a, an issue in the, of, in the 160s, um, that came out in 1976, and it, at that point, it wasn't just uh, Ross Andrew, but um, he was at that point being inked consistently, issue in and issue out, by Mike Esposito. And so, because those are my formative reading years, um, for me, that is still, for the way John Romita is still the look of Spider-Man for a lot of people, for me, Ross Andrew's pencils and Mike Esposito's inks are the look of Spider-Man like that is that is the template that is what Spider-Man is supposed to look like in its rawest most primal form for me personally so just just to let you know (laughs) this issue by the way isn't Esposito yet Jim Mooney yeah no Esposito didn't start inking Andrew uh uh consistently until late 75 I think so that was you're right it was uh, primarily uh, Jim Mooney and uh, Dave Hunt were the anchors back in uh, like on a rotating schedule back in uh, those days. And oh. God, I really am a spider nerd, or I, am I not? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm looking through these, and I'm looking at the issues from Marvel stuff from out this month, and I'm see all, from what I can remember of these things, most of them weren't. This might be the only one of the only. Either if there's one, I'm there's one I'm missing maybe, or this is the only one that's a writer artist, you know, same person. Right. All the rest are. Kind of two different ones. I mean, I'm looking for like the ones I have read. There's like a Captain America 167, which I know would still be Steve Englehart because I think it's like the lead up to the Secret Empire stuff before Kirby mm-hmm. came back. Um, mm-hmm. Avengers 117, which we know isn't doesn't have a right artist because that was part of the Avengers Defenders War, which we covered already. 
Yes, but a brilliant pair of podcasts, by the way. I, uh... I think so. <laughs> uh, Fantastic Four one forty. So no, that was Jim Howland. No, that would have been who? That would have been Jerry Conway and Rich Buckler, or I, think I don't know. Actually, looking, let's see. There's Frankenstein, Frankenstein Monster, which is Marvel. Gary Friedrich, mm-hmm. John Buscema. So, like most of them, looking at this, might be the only one from Marvel still that was a writer artist. Yeah, it was a rare phenomenon in those days. Like, I, like thinking back, I'm thinking the only other two examples from this time period or earlier that I can think of of there being a writer artist on a book was uh, Kirby's Fourth World books, which was going on right now, I believe. Oh, absolutely! It was actually, I believe, it was over at this point. Well, um, I think at this point, the Olsen One Sixty One is. Oh no, that's the reprint. It's not Kirby, so he's off that one. Yeah, no, like, cause he started in 70 and they, for the most part, only lasted like two or three years. Um, except for Mr. Miracle. Yeah, and, uh, right. yeah I'm not seeing, and I'm not seeing Mr. Miracle here. Right. So at this I point, he was probably, if he was still working for DC, he was probably just churning out, um, uh, oblig- obligatory, uh, issues of OMAC or Commandi, um, just before he cacks off back to Marvel to, uh, do Black Panther and Captain America oh, in 2001. Or was Jerry Conway and John Buscema? Actually, I think Kirby. I think I think Commandy was when he came back to DC. Because I believe it was he bounced a bit. It was the New Gods of DC came back to Marvel for what you said, and then went back to DC for the like, Commandy and the Demon and Omak. Yeah, because I don't. Yeah. Oh no, wait, Demon. Never mind. Demon's on number fourteen, so at least Demon was already happening. Yeah, and but it's still, uh, it's still Kirby. But the only the only uh, other the only other uh, example I can think of would have been the stuff uh, uh, Jim Steranko oh, did cool. for Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, in the late sixties. Well, uh, you are completely correct. I am hundred percent wrong because Commandy, the last boy on Earth, number eleven. I thought Commandy was later. Apparently, it was that early. 70s. No, I don't think he went back. I think the I think his only return to DC after his return to Marvel was um oh, what did they call it the uh. Dogs of the Apocalypse or the Hunger Dogs or Hunger whatever. Dog. Yeah, the, he did the, go back fin- the big finish up for the New God storyline. He did go back to DC in the 80s, I know, because he did the uh, Superpowers miniseries. Oh, right, 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 right. But, but, okay, so all those things were, that's right. I know he did he had Commandy issues coming out for a while, but I forgot. It's Kirby. He does so much stuff ahead of time. He could have had like a year of Commandy coming out. Yeah. While he's still do- working at, while he's working at Marvel. That very, very likely. He was, ah, King Kirby, one of a kind. I do, but, um, so I do have the New Gods trades. I do need to get the, uh, I do want to get the Commandy stuff, the Demon stuff, because even if it's, his stuff, with, his, his best stuff is with Stan. Both of them. I think both their best work. Oh, absolutely. Is absolutely. War stuff, especially that, you know, the 30s, like the 70s issues, let's say. Yep, yep. With, I and think, Thor. Oh, yeah. And Thor. And it, again, Stan's other best work would be Spider-Man with uh, Romita and uh, Ditko. Yeah, like, yeah. No, you know, some actually, of their best stuff was with other people, but that's, his stuff on his own is just, oh, just so crazy and it's entertaining. I mean, his yeah. eternal run is nuts. I love it. I agree. I agree. But now here we are in um, okay. here back back to the Bronze Age and back to Captain Marvel number twenty nine. Yeah, page we haven't covered yet. <laughs> I was going to say, and finally, what well, I think I think if you. So, so all of that was a discussion of page eight, and I think that it might felt like be the, it took two weeks. I, 
It felt like <laughs> seriously. I think if you total up all of the talk on just page eight, I think we might have set some sort of comic book podcasting record. We'll have to uh, invite some feedback from our fellow comic book podcasters and our um, comic book podcast listeners uh, to let us know if they've heard any page of any issue discussed for as long as Al and I have just done page eight of. Captain Marvel number 29. I don't know. That one part where we did the Thanos graphic novel, we covered like three pages in the entire episode. That's that. That's, that's I'm just fair. not sure, though, if we covered the page on that much or if we just went so tangent like we ignored the pages completely. Which which is kind of what we just did with page eight. But anyway, moving on to uh, page, page <laughs> tangent nine. Tangent on our tangent. Yes. Now, I want to make... I want to make two observations real quick about uh, page nine and this this first panel. First of all, by again, by Bronze Age standards, and I could be wrong about this, but by Bronze Age standards, this panel in particular strikes me as unusually detailed in its artwork. Like this is a an amount of line work that you won't regularly see in comics. Again, I, I think until the uh, '80s and Arthur Adams and um, and his uh, 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 descendants, as it were, because um, it's just it's a lot of. I'm just looking at the fine line work on on Captain Marvel's fingers and and in his hair, and I'm thinking this is quite detailed for a comic book from the early '70s. That's just one observation I wanted to make. Now, and, in any way, Starlin was uh, jumped ahead. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely ahead of his time in many ways. And the other quick observation I want to make, and I think I have made it uh, uh, before is, within this issue, is it starts out again with Captain Marvel saying, what's going on here? Why are you torturing me so? It's like, this is, I believe this is already the third or fourth time in this issue that he's asked that exact same question. And at this point, if I'm Eon, I'm going to like grow a hand just to smack him upside the head because it's like, pay attention, son. I'm trying to explain to you. Because yeah, especially since we don't see him do anything to Marvel yet. He's just telling Marvel, hey, this is how the guy who became mentor came to Titan. Yeah. He's telling him a story. He's like, what's going on? I'm telling you a freaking story. <laughs> That's like, it's like, what's going on here? So, and it's interesting because that is exactly the sort of time-wasting dialogue. Just to bounce back real quick to the point I just made, that's the yeah. sort of time-wasting dialogue that was a side effect of the Marvel method. Like when you had a panel that the dialogue writer had zero idea what was supposed to be happening in it, he would just fill it with dialogue like that, which is fine for, for that sort of way of doing things. But in this case, I'm thinking, no, you knew what was going on here, so why are you... Why are we having this repetitive loop in in Marvel's head? I don't know. I wonder if Roy's like, you know what? We need Marvel to do something. I guess Put that's something a, in there. I guess left to his own devices, um, Starlin would have just had like Eon addressing the audience with all of this new age psychedelic philosophical hoo ha. And I guess you're right. I guess you know Roy Thomas in his capacity as editor probably came back to. To Starlin and said, um, A, we need to see more of Captain Marvel, and B, he needs to be doing something, even if it's just asking Ian what the hell he's talking about. So, yeah. something. The only thing I can think of is that they're upbringing on 
with the Creed since they're so militaristic and Spartan. Yeah. Is maybe like sitting down and telling a bedtime story and being affectionate is considered like punishment and torture. So he is like, look, I'm going to tell you a story. But I was like, oh my God, why? I Bastard. <laughs> I will cure you. Why are you torturing me so? No, and I think the other thing, why are you torturing me so? That does play to the, um, See, the thing is, when all is said and done, I see the philosophical point that Sterling's trying to make with this issue. Um, but I don't know that he – I get it because I've read this issue a few times now and also because, you know, I'm an, I'm an elderly comic book fan, as it were. Um, but the point uh, – I don't think he makes the point as clearly as um, he thinks he does. So it's taken me a couple of rereads of this issue to really um, grok of it. Um, Captain Marvel, like his whole he's, – in a way, he's kind of juvenile. Um, he's kind of adolescent in his whole approach here. He's like, my friends are in trouble. I need to go help them out. So even though Eon is trying to give him an upgrade and better tools to fight the good fight with and everything – all Cap is thinking is, I have to get back and help my friends, but you're holding me here. Why are you torturing me so? Yeah, so, the forest and Chuck Marble just needs the one trick. Right. So I think, I think you know, that this panel is actually an aid of that, but it took me a couple of reads to really understand the through line well enough to put that together for myself. Or maybe I'm just an idiot. I don't know. No, that's very possible. I mean... Eon does that. I mean, Eon even says here, knowledge is torture, and there must be awareness <laughs> before there is change. And usually one of the ways you get knowledge is through age. Yes. I mean, we, yeah. you know, as we, as we get older, we learn things. And yes, exactly. Know, we're better able to handle the stuff that you couldn't handle a year, five, ten, fifteen years ago because you didn't have that capacity yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, think about it just the stuff, I mean, we're grown-ups now. The fact, the stuff we have to deal with, the responsibilities, just the minor mm-hmm. Imagine giving that to us when we were 15. Just go, here you go. Have fun. Yeah. Exactly. We'd be like, what the? No! We, we would have been, we been echoing Cap here. You know, why are you torturing us so, Jim Starlin and Marvel yeah. Comics? Exactly. So, yeah, he's kind of like, nope, nope, I'm going to kick you up. I'm going to kick you if you're grown up quick, real quick. We don't have time to be a child anymore. Grow a sack, move on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and. <laughs> I like uh, in panel two, Eon uh, shines the light of truth from his eyeball onto um, Captain Marvel for no apparent reason other than it looks cool. Which it does. <laughs> Which it does, but it's kind of like at no other point in this issue is that discussed or illustrated as a method of communication or whatever. That I don't know what he's like. Okay, I get it. Metaphorically, maybe he's trying to illuminate Captain Marvel. But, you know, it's just, it's kind of like out of the, it's just out of nowhere here. It's just pretty funny to, to say, like, someone, someone switched Eon on. <laughs> He's the light bulb above Captain Marvel's head. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I get it now. No, no, you really don't, do you? Light bulb. <laughs> and I, I, I'm also, I mean, this whole page is pretty cool because I'm liking that next panel with the uh, Cronus creating Eon. Yeah, and yeah. it's like Cronus in is like almost like a turn. Like when I first was actually looking at it just now, I was like eternity is in this. Yeah, no, but that 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 whole that whole outline 
figure, like colored outline figure. I mean, that was something that Starlin was really a pioneer of. Yeah. Um, and you, you're going to see it a lot. Someone in this, uh, someone on this podcast is going to be seeing it a lot more as they move forward into their warlock issues of the late seventies. Oh yeah. I'm just saying, but you, you get to see it here, you know, yeah. Uh, Kronos, uh, is, is so cosmic that it, it, it's almost his way of showing that he's not truly corporeal anymore, that he is, um, just a sort of energy presence with, with, with great, uh, power. And so he creates Eon to wait 8 billion years. Yeah. Or 8 billion, or to 8 billion light years. Oh man, that's just, ah, you know, that, that, that got up my nose when I read it back in panel two when, uh, when Eon begins his, uh, his, his narration, eight billion light years ago. Um, yeah. Oh, no, 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 well, no. That's, that's like. That's an under, I mean, I'm talking that up to the understanding of science and stuff that they would have back then, where unless you went to a had news site, had somebody that knew about it, or went to the library and researched, it's not like you can just. There's no Google back then. I know. I know. So, you know, I, and. Um, it, I think I'm contributing that just to a bit of ignorance, just kind of like, uh, you know, the fact that the Millennium Falcon did the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. That is exactly what I was about to say. I was just about to say, dude, that that is how that way li- uh, leads to making the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. Of course, that's a long <laughs> under time ago. Under 12 parsecs. Yeah. If you're Han Solo, under 12 parsecs. Yeah, under 12 parsecs. <laughs> of course, that's a long time ago and a galaxy is far, far away. So for me, I'm like, nah, but then parsecs is a measure of time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, let us... Let us face it's a it. Word. This was... It's a word. It's feet. It's like saying you did it another twelve feet. Well, yeah, there we made feet mean time. It's a, us... It doesn't have to be measurement. Like and a... and 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 it was right about it. That um, line wasn't too far removed from uh, a conversation that Han was having with Greedo, which contained the immortal line: "Jabba wanin chico, babushani taitani wanyaros he that was awesome. Thank you. But my point is, is that, so you're right, words could have completely different meanings because hell, we, whatever the hell Greedo was talking about. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. But I'm saying, or maybe we're going to, maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody else, I haven't read everything of Eon, maybe at some point somebody later on saw that and realized that it was like, yeah, no, Eon was created all the way out there. It took him 8 billion years to get to this part of the universe. That, that could be, that could be as well. I mean, so, I have no uh, idea. I, but it is entertaining. We're 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 doing our we're doing our best to retcon this for you, Jim. We're doing our best. So Kronos creates Eon to wait to wait for Captain Marvel because Captain Marvel is the because because Kronos foresaw eight billion years ago that all of this cosmic cube hoo ha would be going on and that Captain Marvel is the only possible like he had to arrange things so that. So that Captain Marvel would come to be, and only then, only he could 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 save the universe from Thanos. And he had to be he had to be enlightened. And so he made Obi Wan Eon here to hang around, like, and do that. Yeah. Although since he does have Quasar be another protector of the universe, I wonder if he kind of was just having protected the universe. It was kind of like Eon's training to be able to train Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. to be able to get to this point, I gotta start training all these other guys and hope they don't. I don't get them all killed. So by the time I get to you, I actually have a clue what I'm doing. Okay. Apparently, I'm that stupid that I need eight billion years. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So now we start to descend into the meat of Eon slash Starlin's argument here because um, the he start he starts to really get into it in the last three panels here on page nine where he basically makes the point, we're going to give you a skill upgrade, but you have to um, change. You have to no longer, like he said, he says that we no longer need a warrior, but a protector. He who seeks to protect must first love, and there is no love in war. And there we have it here. Like, I believe the Vietnam War was not quite over, and Starlin's clearly, you yeah, know, coming from a certain... was like 75. Right. So, you know, here, everyone's tired of, everyone's tired of the war, you know, give peace a chance. This is clearly the scene that Starlin is emerging from, and he is trying somehow to take, and, and, and this is pretty much the rest of the book, um, the rest of this issue, um, is, is, is his attempt to graft that um, and I don't say this derogatorily, but that, that peacenik point of view onto a, onto a art form and storytelling genre that relies on fighting and, and, and conflict for Violence. its forward, for its engine, you know? Yeah. So it's like here he wants to take this fighter of a, of a character and graft this peaceful philosophy onto him and the entire rest of this issue is going to as we will see as we move forward is going to be starlin's attempt to do that so here's where it here here's where it gets gnarly peeps yeah but yeah so you got these panels with them shoving the effects of war yep on the, on the, have, yeah so is it worth the dead the crippled the lost yes. answer us marvell answer me answer me now you do you not have an answer warrior, you know? And I don't know. I mean, I think it's a little oversimplified here, perhaps. I mean, I appreciate the sentiment, but I think he's really kind of, you know, um, man gives many reasons for battle, but can one truly believe that any cause is worth all the blood that war spills? And then right there in that, uh, right there in that, uh, very, very panel, you see, uh, uh, Hitler, and a star of David, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, stopping that was pretty much worth it. <laughs> well, no, I agree with you there, but I think he's going a little more complex, more and more than that, because I mean, he does still have Marvel fight. He's, I mean, Marvel's still going to be fighting, so I don't mm-hmm. think he was completely going to get saying that because he, hell, at the end of this issue, Ian's going to have him fighting his old inner demon, fighting physically fighting his demon. Right, right, I, and trying to change Marvel's perspective and reason. For fight, yeah. because what he does next with the whole thing with Una, kind of is like showing that he Marvel wasn't really going. I mean, he was trying to protect her, but like protecting her wasn't his basis. Like the reason he was fighting, the reason he was fighting was to kill Jan Rog. No, you're 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 right, and I guess that you're right because I struggled with this. You know, I had I had trouble kind of coming to grips with 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 the point here because you're right at the end of it all, and and it's funny here where it, I I don't think we can help it given the given the deep and 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 um 
intellectual nature of the proceedings here. We're sort of, we're sort of taking the argument as a whole now rather than stepping through it. And that's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. but, but you're right in that what I struggled to reconcile myself with, to wrap my head around every time I've read this issue is, as you point out, at the end of it all, Captain Marvel is still fighting and the words that Starling chooses um puts uh cho- uses for Eon's explanation of the change that needs to come to Marvel at times made it sound made me expect that they were going to take take the fight out of him like you know you you love fighting too much we are going to stop you from fighting but they're not stopping him from fighting so the best conclusion i've been able to come to and it sounds like it's what you're driving at as well is that they're not going to stop him from fighting, but they're going to try to change why he fights. Yeah, that's I what guess. I get. That's kind of what I'm getting because I think, like going by like say that. Then the whole thing would be like he's not. He's saying, I think he, what he's trying to get at is like causing war. What does mm-hmm. it get besides death? If you mm-hmm. are going to start a war, if you are looking to fight, if you are looking for reasons to go out and attack. But on the other hand, I mean, there's nothing wrong with protecting, and I guess I guess kind of and go, by going by that and extrapolating that, if everyone's just trying to protect, then mm-hmm. no one's actually going to attack, and therefore there is no war because if no one's looking to attack, if you're all just going, you know, all just there to protect, and that's it, and no one else is attack. If you're all doing that, then no one's attacking you, so you don't have to protect against anyone. No, no, that's that's fair, but to be lecturing. And and I and I agree with you, and I think that is absolutely the point you were getting at. I guess for me, the main disconnect or stumbling block is for Eon to be lecturing Marvell this intensely in this way on this subject. Have we seen that Marvell is is much of a war starter in the past? I mean, I'm yeah, because I did read the whole run, but it's been a year since I read yeah. all the issues. Right. That's the one we did. But, I mean, he was still kind of Kree-ish. He was still ready to fight. And I think that's because in the upgrade he gets, he gets a lot more capable. So, like, he doesn't need 20 punches when he could just kind of, like, do a nerve pinch type thing. Okay. So it was making him also a fighter, but kind of like the more, like, you know, like when those Kung Fu type movies or any type of action movie with somebody so well-trained against somebody who isn't that it's almost like, you know, they're almost basically doing the effect of putting their hand on the small child's head while he swings wildly, holding him back okay. a foot. And I think that's kind of like where he's getting Marvel to. It's like he doesn't need to be, you know, Mr. Violent Guy beating the hell out of people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a way to do that so to take care of your things so much easier. But I got to make sure that you're not going to just going to use this to go, you know, lead the Kree armies and, you know, battle the scrolls for the next 50 years. Well, actually, and and the first panel on the next page, which I believe is page twelve, um, is actually very telling in in terms of this debate, in terms of this conversation. Marvel protests this line of badgering by Eon when he says, "No, I'll not accept this. You have ignored honor, honor that which all men should fight for." And I'm thinking to myself. Okay, that's telling, and that actually does lend credence to why Eon is trying to change um, Marvel's perspective in this way. Because the first thing out of Marvel's mouth, and the first thing that his mind produced, was fighting for honor. 
and not say fighting to defend one's loved ones or yeah. fighting to defend one's homeland. Um, which were when I was think when I'm sitting here reading, you know, Eon saying war is bad, war is wrong, you should never go to war, and I'm sitting there saying, well, there are times when it's kind of, and those are the reasons that I came up with. But when Marvell says you have ignored honor, which all men should fight for, I'm thinking, okay, this is clearly a mind that perhaps needs changing. You you have a few my honor, speaking. sir. I demand satisfaction. Yeah, dropping the glove on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how, I think that's, I think, I mean, he did it a little, it's still a little shaky back at the point where he was doing it, but I think that's how he was getting at it. Not that any fighting or war is bad, because otherwise, like I said, Marvel would never punch anybody or fight again. He would be, mm-hmm. you know, very Gandhi type, you know, Mother Teresa. Yeah. Now Thanos put down the cosmic cube, it's very naughty. I, I Can't we work this out? <laughs> I think someone needs a hug, Titan. I know, I know. But, you know, so it still happens. Like I said, I think he's just kind of like, we need to fix your motivations. Yeah, no, it's true. Whole actually, honor, vengeance, anger. He's basically taking away from the dark side of the Force, going back to Star Wars. And, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I uh, And he actually gets it then a, a couple of panels later. I hate war, but at times I had to fight to protect those I love. At which point, you know... Eon, in typical badgering lawyer uh, cross-examination fashion, says, "Ah, yes, love. I know of your battles for love." And and I don't know. It sounds like he's he's twisting the meaning of the word a little there. You know, I, I don't think that's quite what 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 Captain Marvel meant when he said that. And he's just he, he it's becoming very. This is becoming very much like a like a court cross-examination. But it's like you're twisting my words, man. Oh, I'm I, I, especially in this case. I love Eon's different forms because now all of a sudden Eon's not the giant tree thing we're used to. He's a little. It almost looks like Daredevil's head, but <laughs> on a but pair of paint, legs. <laughs> yeah, but painted a different color: green for the mask part, yellow for the face. Except the chin is very, very. It almost looks like balls, actually. I was just thinking that. Oh, that's kind of uh, hands, oh, like, naughty. Yeah, with hands sticking out of the side of his head and a tail and t- legs. And that's it. No body. And then we have the last panel. It's Eon is like a very tall, humanoid, muscular. But it's the, the face still has like a tree top. The head has like a tree top. And it's just the one eye. Right. You Nothing know, else if, on, the, on the face. Just one eye. I, I, I really do kind of dig this Eon changing randomly. Like, this is entertaining. That's entertaining me. Well, it's interesting because it's, I wonder, I'm wondering, there had to have been a reason for it. And I'm, these are, these are the two aspects. Like in the last panel, it's the tree, um, tree head with the eyeball. And in the other form, it's the, the, the sort of devilish face that sticks out the side of the tree. Quote unquote whole. So it's like here, Eon is presenting different aspects of himself to uh, Ian is presenting different aspects of himself to Marvell, and and I think there there has to be some uh, significance to the difference because even note even note when he's in the devil form, his speech balloons have but a single outline, whereas when he's in the uh, uh, Cyclops tree form, he has his 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 
speech balloons have a double outline that makes them a little more sort of ethereal looking. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, like there's a difference in the voice. Yeah, like like these these might this might be the same being addressing Marvell, but for some reason that at the moment I'm failing to grasp the the specific significance of, but for some reason um, he is using he is he is choosing to present this notion with one aspect and then this notion with the other aspect. Yeah, which is cool. Which yeah, is cool. Was, I didn't notice that part actually. He pointed it out. I was like, oh yeah, he is. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then on the next page, whoa, are we getting psychedelic now? Oh, yeah. Well, like we said, going back to the argument about love, you know, because I knew, you know, what do you say again? I know of your battles for love. Yes. And he's bringing back to when, in before the time period of the story, of the uh, series before we were covering it, mm-hmm. his uh, girl, Nurse Una. Nurse was, Una. Uh, yeah. yeah. Was kidnapped by John Rogg, and he went to save her, but she died. And that's kind of like I think what he's talking about. Like he's battling Yon Ra because he's concentrating on vengeance, right? And she died because she wasn't the priority. She was a priority, but at the moment his priority he was clouded by anger and vengeance. And she was he was you know killing Yon Ra was the bigger priority. But but was it because as I as even um, Eon points out here. I don't think killing Yon Rog was the was was the was the mission. Um, Marvel and this was a very weak stretch of, of of story. It's like one one of the things, and we're sort of witnessing it here. Um, I thought that the initial batch of Captain Marvel stories, um, the ones that were told um, in in the Marvel Superheroes magazine in the late sixties, and then when he got his own book and he was still in the green helmeted uh, costume. Um, I thought the initial batch of stories were were very strong. Um, I think they were th- that they were written by uh, Arnold Drake or whoever, but I thought they were pretty strong. And then the book really seemed to lose its way, and it kept like very obviously trying to oh, redefine it itself or find it a new like direction. For right, exactly. And I think that in a way, and I think what what happens with this particular character. With this particular book and this particular character is as the as the writing duties have gotten passed from from writer to writer, each writer that comes onto it has their own um, desires for what for the for the direction they want to take the character in. So every time a writer comes on, they have to work really hard to clear out the storytelling detritus of the previous writer's run. So they have to kill off some characters and like and I, in a way that's kind of what we're seeing here. I know this isn't Starlin's like even his second or third issue on the book. Like he's been with the book a while now. Top but five, I still the fifth issue, yeah. Right. But this is this is still him saying, okay, if I'm going to do what I want with, with Captain Marvel, then I have to change him, and this is how I'm going to do it. Hence, this psychedelic light show that we're living through. But this, my, to get back to the point I was making, uh, the stretch here with dead Nurse Una and the battle to the death with Jan Rog was a particularly, in my opinion, because I did read it, um, a particularly weak stretch of the the book. And... Um, yeah, that one is almost like a villain, right? And 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 the uh, right and the idea 
as if I'm recalling it correctly, he didn't just set out to start a fight with Jan Rog or to kill him or whatever. He, someone had given him uh, a line on a way to resurrect Una to bring her back to life. And he was obsessed with that. And Jan Rog, that's right. And Jan Rog stood in his way. So he only like battled Jan Rog to the death in order to get through Jan Rog to that which would have brought Una back to life. You see what I'm saying? Okay, but, you're right. I forgot. I forgot about that. It's, it's like I said. It's been like two years since I read those Captain Marvel stories. Right, Especially but like now, he, like you said, it's kind of because that's when he kept getting. He got canceled like two or three times because they kept exactly. going exactly. Exactly. Like you said, they would keep changing it over and over, and that is what Starlin was doing. I will say real quick though. Obviously, Starlin's works best because what Captain Marvel turns into, what he changes and does the change into, is basically uh-huh. what everyone till now thinks of when Captain Marvel is brought up. This Absolutely. version of Captain Marvel with the cosmic awareness which is, and everything that he gets from Eon, that's the one. So, you know, so yeah, he was doing, so I agree, he was doing what everyone else was doing, but he obviously did it much better. No, uh, <laughs> because I agree. It worked. Uh, that became the template. That's the bit, that's what everyone considers the classic version, even though it didn't happen to like 30 issues in. No, I agree completely with you, and all respect to Sterling. Hey, you know, as I'm as I'm sort of picking this apart, that's just because I'm doing a podcast about it. I don't mean to say that that, that Sterling's storytelling is is weak or anything like that. He left an indelible mark on both the character and on the Marvel universe with this whole um, sort of Starlin verse sub um, universe. Everything in here has become at least something. I mean, Cronus is still almost always included when there's a, when there's a thing of like all the Marvel cosmic entities. Yeah. It's almost always there. Eon yeah. or now Epic is you was usually, Eon is now dead in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. The child Epic is there. Mm-hmm. It's not Hell. Like Thanos. Come on, please. Thanos. Right. Hey, I'm reading, uh, uh one of my favorite books is uh, guardians of the galaxy, which features both Drax and Gamora. Yeah. Which are which are Starling creations. So you know he left his mark and deservedly so. Um, this was as we have repeatedly pointed out. This was groundbreaking work at the time, and it deserves all all respect. But and and but so but that particular um, uh, uh, stretch. Uh, it's funny because now they're they're hearkening back to the trying to bring Una back to life storyline, and Eon is turning it into a be careful what you wish for sort of thing because he's actually right because he's actually right exactly because he's saying wow if you had actually succeeded this is what you would have gotten and it's this zombie una yeah you know? I mean, she's not a flesh like the typical walking dead Romero fleshing zombie but she's just kind of like this like he says she has no soul this soulless mm-hmm. empty creature that just well, like animals, and I think something he, in front of me, attack and kill. And I think he's subtly, or not so subtly, he's making the equivalence there that um, mindlessly attacking, mindlessly making war is the act of one with no soul. You know, which is some pretty heavy shiz to be dropping on a, a comic book reading audience. Yes. So I'm just saying. Um to victory. The flames of the Second World War burn across the globe. 
In the European theater of war, the Allied forces pushed back against the evil of Nazi Germany. And pushing our boys ahead at the front, no band of brothers fought harder and more ferociously than Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos. Marvel Comics immortalized the courageous exploits of Sergeant Fury, Dum Dum Dugan, Gabe Jones, and the rest of the elite fighting unit. Well, hell, heavens and Rocketroid, here they come now, Sergeant Fury! Look alive, you gold bricks! I'm not fighting the war by myself out here. What do you think we're gonna do when the Nazis actually show up? Come on, you boys, march! Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast will follow those gripping stories of combat and bravery from the beginning. Join Brian Zeno and Dion Baia every other Monday as they dig into Marvel's classic Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos issue by issue with humor and historical insight. Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast is available on iTunes and at furycast.podwits.com and is part of the Podwits Podcast Network. Face front, soldier! Wahoo! And so now that now that he has shaken Marvell down to his boots, he um, uh, we await your verdict. And and uh, they they say, it's, but I like this. It's like they they are they are they've shown him all this stuff. They've they've dredged up all of his all of his um, painful memories. And then uh, Eon says to him. It is judgment time, and I'm thinking, okay, now they're going to pass judgment on Captain Marvel. And they say to him, no, they say to him, we await your verdict. And I'm like, ooh, okay, that's interesting. That was kind of a nice twist. Um, it's like, we're, we're not here to judge you. you. We want you to tell us, are you ready for this change or no? Right. So I like that. It's like self-reflection. It's like self-determination. It's like, we're, we're going to change your life. So it's not to us. Now, you tell us if you're ready. You tell us if you're truly ready. Now, you know, it's funny though because this is a pretty bold. Because he says here, "I've spent my life fighting for that which I believed in," and then in the next panel he says, "And I have been wrong, terribly wrong." And I'm again, I'm forced to sit there and and in just in reaction to that say, "Fighting for what you believe in." I don't know that like like thinking that's wrong is a very my <laughs> that's a that's a hard position to defend let's let's see where this goes here you know well to be fair also to make it easier for Starlin, this is not somebody who comes from a culture on earth or even earth itself he's from the Cree, so okay. it's very okay. easy to go with that because it's not like you know Starlin can always say i well, hey i didn't say anything about anyone's belief here at all is anyone who's a Cree mm-hmm. from Cree lore then i apologize if i offended you Everyone else can shut up. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of fair. Okay. So oh, he wishes... By the way, but real quick, you said a minute ago how heavy this was. I was just thinking, being a kid in 1973, oh, my God, Gwen Stacy. Oh, my God, the Greek Goblet. Okay, this is a lot. I need something like, oh, Captain Marvel, space battle. That'll be cool. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> No one, no wonder so many teenagers in the in the 1970s turned to um, uh, mind altering substances. It was the comic books which drove them to it. No, I think it was the kids who didn't have the comics anymore. That's that's okay. That could be. This that is the mind altering substance. Someone kicked off Captain Marvel. Left Captain Marvel. You had to go to drugs. Fair, a fair point. With, with comic books like these, who needs drugs? Um, so <laughs> now, now, sorry, interrupted. So, yeah, but he wishes to change. And, and you know, he says, we are physically changing you. As capable as we are of physically changing you, the mental change has to come from within. And this here is the crux of it. Like, the language he uses for the rest of the issue makes 
it clear. This is the this is the big point. This is the crux of it all. You have become aware. He is given cosmic awareness. Yeah. And I'm still struggling to understand really what that means. Like what he can hear a pin drop thirty light years away. I and and how does that how does that improve his 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 moral stance? Like I'm I'm really struggling with this here, you know. Um, yeah, I think it does actually mean that because basically, and especially I got this from re- when I did the because uh, I did the episode on the death of Graphic Captain Marvel for the okay. uh, Thirty Marvels Countdown podcast. Mm-hmm. Plug plug. Um, <laughs> I basically put in there that yeah, uh, basically he became Marvel Superman. Okay. And think about it. He's making him this ultimate moral person, and he's getting him. He's now faster than he was before. Stronger. He can has the awareness, which basically means he can like know things that happen around all around him, mm-hmm. which Superman can do. Okay. Okay. So they've just they've upped his power levels to Superman levels, and with more or less. More or less. Okay. I mean, it's a little more vague because he doesn't have specific super hearing or supervision. So it's, but he's cosmically aware, which kind of does usually work out to be kind of the same thing. I think I, yeah, no, I think, I think the, the, the most, um, descriptive line or the most helpful line in trying to understand this cosmic awareness thing and the change that has come on Marvel, uh, as a result of all this, um, is on the top of the next page, the page after the big change, where they, uh, in the second panel, they say, we have enhanced your total reception to life you have become aware and this is sort of i guess they're getting at this sort of very spiritual thing starlin's really putting forth this almost buddhist spiritual thing which is it, we we have we have made you aware and connected on a soul level to all life which will make it impossible for you to take life or do evil and you know what i'm saying it's that sort of feeling like you know ultimate compassion leads to ultimate good kind of a deal. Like if you can, if you can relate to everyone, then you can do ill to no one. Yeah. And actually going with, and that works perfectly what I said, because even the next panel after what you were talking about, panel three, no movement too slight to see, no sound too low to hear, no smell too faint to detect for all things. The universe are now one with you, which like I said, I mean, that's basically what Mm -hmm. Lincoln does. And actually what you were just saying is, Basically, what you get if you read All Star Superman by Graham Morrison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically this whole thing of this philosophy of Lex. Like at the end, it's like I can that he sees so much of this. He sees how everything's connected. Everyone's connected. He's like that's why he's like I do what I do. And, you know, even will protect you because I see how we're all connected. So, mm-hmm. like I can't. I wouldn't want to even hurt you, Lex, because we are all so intimately connected together. You just you just can't all see it yet. No, that's that's, and that's that's what Captain Marvel basically is right here. So and, I mean, actually, I'm actually I'm, I'm liking this because I had said that on that, on that podcast based on things that were in the death of Captain Marvel, and then now I'm seeing other things here that are like, yeah, he basically made Captain Marvel Marvel Superman, like the yeah. Century was, but in a good way, not bad. Like you know, Century was like the bad version of Superman, so to speak. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. This is actually much closer to what Superman is. is. You know, the character. I, I I can see I can see that. Um, and and you know, again, you know, all all kudos to Starlin for pulling this uh, bold, heavy stuff 
out at this uh, um, seemingly early stage of the game. Like, you know, it, it's like in, in 19 in the, in the 70s, I think comics were still expected to be one thing. And this is very far outside of that. So good for him that he had the stones to, to give it a try. Either that um, or he's just doing it, just saying blondes have more fun. And that that could be. Now, of course, of course, now that now that now that he has this cosmic awareness and this respect for all life, he of course must demonstrate it by punching a bunch of imaginary uh, uh, beings. Yeah. In the face. Yeah. And his eyes get all glowy red. Yes. And and <laughs> like this is this is this is somehow indicative of his new awareness and peaceful nature. Perhaps yeah. I guess maybe like all this punching and kicking and chopping I guess. Um, sure. Sure. Okay. So now, now that now that he has punched his demons, he has freed himself from he the past. Punched his way to peace. Punched his way to peace, Captain America. Cap- Captain America. Captain Marvel punching his way to peace. I love it. I like it. And then he must face um, one. Final task remains. To be truly free, one must overcome his own magus. Oh, wait, no, that's that's yet to come. Sorry. Um, Although it does kind of like, this actually looks like dirty Captain Marvel because with the color scheme, it looks like it, the only parts of him that are clothed are the parts that are basically blue on Captain Marvel, not the red parts. Yeah, yeah, fair, a fair point. Yes, he's kind of... um. He's looking kind of naughty there. Don't worry. Some of these pages, like this one, or the one where um, some the page with Eon changing form, or right. the, one with, the one we spent five hours talking about, I will be putting up in the Tumblr page. So you will be able to see those. Oh, good. Good, good. Um, he is your personal Thanos. I like that line. That the, this cancerous other self, his inner demon, is your personal Thanos. So... Now, Captain Marvel, so, so now, and I, and this is the last time I'm gonna harp on this, but this really gets to the heart of the, the struggle that I had with the, with the sort of philosophical, uh, point of this, is that, um, <laughs> uh, uh, he says, this is your personal Thanos, so, you know, now, so I guess we are to infer that how Captain Marvel reacts to this being now is how he will, is how he should and ought to react to Thanos. So he reacts by punching this thing really, really, really hard. And I'm just wondering, how is that different from how he would have reacted to Thanos before this episode? Um... Yeah. So anyway. Oh, look here. Yeah. <laughs> well, well said, my friend. Well said. So, um... That's so so he 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 finally beats up and shatters his inner demon and achieves freedom freedom through punching punching his way through peace and freedom look it's a it's a working philosophy he didn't have it all set up yet <laughs> it's a philosophy in progress so you know so, you're yeah. early and ran sometimes people shared that's <laughs> So, so, and, and, um, now this is what's interesting is this, um, because now, uh, what, what I find really interesting, because I'm sort of zooming along now and I'm on the last page. Yeah. What I find really interesting, first wow, of all. Wow, we got the last page. Yeah. And <laughs> the striking thing, the most striking thing is the image of, of Captain Marvel's face, like, not there anymore. And it's like the, the, the infinite universe. 
and okay, that's kind of cool, and it really. Oh, I love it. Really, I like that. That's always fun. And and it's and it's a very very strong um, illustration of this gift of cosmic awareness that he's received, and he's reunited with um, like farewell, boom, and now he's 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 back um, in in the main storyline, and he's talking to Rick again. But what I really find interesting is. So, you know, he says, I've seen and done many strange things. It started me thinking, and perhaps that was all I needed. And not to be continued with all of this stuff left to be done, but end. And I'm like, that's an, that's an interesting choice to use that word there. Yeah, well, at the end of this story, there's Is, no cliffhanger. I mean, we'll get back to more stuff later, but. I know, but usually, like, I'm just saying, I would have expected it to be continued. Come back in 30 days as Captain Marvel rejoins the fight with the, uh, controller and Thanos, but not so much. Well, remember, it's still the Bronze Age. That's, uh, you know, most of these things, I mean, the, the, the Defenders, the Avengers War was very much the difference where it was like part one, part two, everything else, all these things, even the Kree Scroll War was still like, here's this two part story with the scrolls here. And now here's an issue story where they're gonna fight, you know, the Kree, and now there's this one, and now we get the two-parter, three-parter where they actually go into space. Yeah. So but, it wasn't, you know, we're, we're kind of used now to part one of six. No, no, that's, that's true. Writing to the trades and all that sort of, like, 21st century stuff that we've gotten very used to. I just, you know, like, that was like, end. End was this the last issue. And you know what? Maybe <laughs> this was more the philosophy here. The last page, the last, the last four panels. You know, oh, no, that's started true. started me thinking, and perhaps that was all I needed. It wasn't so much... Maybe we were looking into it a bit too much. Maybe it wasn't just, I mean, Eon was giving him these different philosophies and different ideas, but basically the main point was, you know, you're stuck in this path. You're in this path of the warrior. And maybe you just need to, to, to think about, you know, you've been in this for so long, this is all you know. And yeah, you're fighting for decent, you know, you're not fighting to keep, you know, you're not a villain, basically, but you could be better. You could be more. You must. Maybe you must start be mindful. About, yeah, think about what's going on. You know, not just reacting, but start thinking. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Starling was reading some Buddhist stuff when he was uh, writing this because all of this being mindful and awareness and connectedness—that's all very Buddhist concepts. Oh, um, I mean, to be fair, it's not. That's not a bad idea for any of us. That sometimes I mean, life. You know, no, I, we're stuck in our root or our life and what we're doing. And sometimes it's like. Just think, even if it's just about, you know what, my life isn't as bad as I thought. No, that's that very, very fair points. But um, so, but now that we have reached um, the end for now, um, yeah, I, I have to wonder, like, as a whole, like, I find myself of two minds about this issue as a whole, like looking back on all of it. I find myself believing fully that it deserves its landmark reputation. It's, 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 uh, absolutely deserves to be thought of as a, as a milestone issue in the history of comics and uh, as the legendary, um, legendary uh, magazine that it is. But that said, I still not sure it all hangs together as well as that reputation or Starlin intended it to. Does that make any sense? Like that sort of, I'm having trouble like sort of reconciling those, but that's, I'm of two minds here, you know? 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is also a new way of doing things. I mean, this didn't really happen very much at this point still. That kind of storytelling over, not just over several long issues like this, but mm-hmm. over multiple titles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they appear, you know, it all starts in the Iron Man issue. Mm-hmm. And we have Captain Marvel, you know, we have this stuff going on in Captain Marvel, and then a few other things, like there's a few issues that Daredevil that involve this, because that's where Moon Dragon comes in. Yes, yes. And and that w- itself was, what, a three-parter? Yep. So, yeah. So the series of Daredevil, which he, and he does get, a, he does, a, he's involved in that a little bit, too. And then there's also an issue of Marvel Feature, which features The Thing and Iron Man against the Blood Brothers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it takes place somewhere around this time period after the controller attacked the Avengers where Iron Man goes out to Thanos' base that he's met him in in Iron Man 55. So right. This is kind of like all spread out all over. And you, I mean, Marvel back then did touch, you know, for, you know, their continuity. Like, you usually tried to have things go, oh, you know, Spidey's yeah. back from over here. But that's one thing. But, like, to have, like, one person more or less basically try and coordinate all these different issues. I mean, that really didn't happen. I think can't think very much. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And this was also clearly laying a sort of um, framework for the kind of long form involved storytelling that would become uh, Chris Claremont's stock in trade uh, in a couple of years. Yeah. I know he was, he was working at uh, Marvel, I believe at this time in a, like oh, a, yeah. sort of assistant capacity. He was helping out. He was already uh, there, but he, but he wasn't, and he was doing filling issues here and there. But he wasn't. I don't think he was yet uh, a regular on anything, and he certainly hadn't gotten anywhere near the X Men. But yeah, eventually he's going to, um, uh, eventually he's going to really perfect this sort of large scale, uh, yeah. long form storytelling. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because actually, there's two writers from that later, from like basically the '80s that I can think of who did this kind of stuff and did it well. Uh, at both of different companies at Marvel, Claremont, at DC, Paul Levitt. Ah. With his Legion of Superheroes run, because he wrote that for not as long as Claremont did, but for a good decades, I'd say at least, or more or mm-hmm. so. And mm-hmm. he, I actually, we, we were talking about him the last episode, and uh, something I said was basically like, Paul, the difference is Paul Levitt and Claremont both better memory. Yes. He would not, because Claremont famously would be like, would forget. He's like, I did, I'm out of ideas. And, you know, then Louise Simonson would come to him and say, because she's the editor, like, don't forget this, 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 and this. He goes, ooh. And then he'd be <laughs> off again. Paul Levitt would remember. So, like, when he put the thing in there two years ago, he actually kind of knew where he wanted to bring it back. Right. So, but, the, like, it's, it's a certain, but still, for the most part, it's a very similar storytelling with the both of them. And you can kind of trace it back to this, like, all these little different parts. You know, to try and make a no, agreed. So this was so this right here, Captain Marvel number twenty nine, is um, without a doubt a deservedly um, revered and uh, legendary uh, issue of yeah. of comics. Yeah. And I I, I, I do the I do the bowing down thing in front of it for that reason. Yeah, I don't think it did everything perfectly. I'm not going to say it's perfect. Or it's the greatest comic ever. But I will say this, from what we said, I mean, artistically, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here early in the mm-hmm. Bronx. Uh, story-wise, what we were just talking about, you know, this whole creating these things, 
the the characters that he's created that are still you I mean maybe we're not talking Captain America but like we are talking characters that are still people still use them oh absolutely they are still they are now not just used they are part of like the background of Marvel like you just assume they have to be there they assume if you use Captain Marvel you're talking about this version now of Captain Marvel they assume if you put the cosmic pantheon of Marvel you got Eon, you know, you got Eternity, and you got Infinity, and Moving Tribunal, and Cronus, and Eon. You know, which is creation. And like I said, in story, and it's still, it, I, I was entertained by the story. So like, it's not that it did any of these things perfectly. I think it's just did so many of these things that it's like, okay, you got to give it, you got to give the credit to the fact that it did all of these things at least decently well, if not absolutely better. So, you know, Perfect. that's, I think, the reason why is that. All no, that I agree. I agree completely. I think that's, I think you, you put it perfectly there. It, it, it attempts a lot, a lot of things, a ridiculous number of things, especially for the time period that it was uh, published in, and that it accomplishes so many of them at least competently, if not quite well, is uh, definitely worthy of, of, of note. Yeah, because like I said, it's been the first time for a lot of this stuff. I mean, maybe artistically you can say he was just, you know, he's granted standing on the shoulders of like Kirby or something. You know, he's taking Kirby and going another step further, going, okay, you show me all you can, now let me see what I can do on my own. Exactly, exactly. But but all the rest of the stuff, he's kind of like almost branching out of like blindly going, okay, let's see what else I can find with my eyes closed. We go running and see what I find. Hey. Nothing wrong with that. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, so... Oof. Exactly. So I am definitely interested to see how this go, where this goes next. For 30. Well, we will find out in Captain Marvel number 30, won't we? Yes, we will. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Looking to read this story, but you can't find the original issue? That's okay. It's been reprinted once or twice. You can find this in the Life of Captain Marvel number 3, or the Life of Captain Marvel trade paperback, or the Life and Death of Captain Marvel trade paperback, or Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel hardcover volume 3, The Essential Captain Marvel, Volume 2, if you want to go cheaper in black and white. Avengers vs. Thanos trade paperback. Okay, cut me some slack with this one. The Official official Z Marvel Cosmic Slamlung from 2013 hardcover. German, so apologies no one speaks German. I butchered that horribly. Guardians of the Galaxy Solo Classic Omnibus hardcover, and also digitally on Comixology.com and on the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Now we're up to the part of the show where I shamelessly beg for feedback. Here goes. You can email the show at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com, follow us on Facebook, just search for Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast, or on Tumblr at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. On both these pages, we post new episodes, as well as images from issues we have covered and what are the random stuff I feel like. The show isn't on Twitter, yet, but I am. You can follow me, at Rebus02, R-E-B-I-S, 02, 
Or just use hashtag Resurrections Adam Warlock. In fact, do that anyway, because that'd be pretty cool. And when the evening comes, we smile. In 1994, Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, and Barry Kitson began exploring the beginnings of the world's greatest superhero team over an epic 12-issue comic maxi-series. And yes, we've just begun. That team was the Justice League of America, and that comic was JLA Year One. In 2016, eight podcasts will come together to cover this series in a single month. That month is JL May. Featuring the Fire and Water Podcast, the Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, the Lantern Cast, Supermates Podcast, the Idle Head of Diablo, Comic Reflections, and Views from the Long Box. Each podcast will cover one or two issues of JLA Year One, and then coverage will move from show to show. It all starts in the Fire and Water Podcast with issues one and two. JL May, an epic month for an epic series. Available where you find all good podcasts. To be heard on a on the next episode, or well, is it? Or is the next episode a, a Warlock one? No, no. Well, actually, right now we're at the point where Warlock is uh, gone. Oh, okay. Warlock, okay. Warlock Eight has already come out, and. Um, we don't get to the Incredible Hulk issues featuring Warlock until after the Thanos War is over. Okay, so the, this was me. That was me attempting to uh, help you out with a little promotion. And yes, no, but that. next episode will be the uh, Marvel premiere episode issue I talked about. Oh, okay, the Thing and Iron Man. Right, right, right. With Chris Matthews, will be back with us for that because Chris loves Iron Man. Cool. But then, cool. Joe, but then Brian will be back the one afterwards for Captain Marvel thirty. Number thirty, I will be there. Mm-hmm. Be there to to dissect it yet for to di- to dissect our now blonde haired Cree warrior. Yes. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Cree protector. Yes, he's not a warrior. <laughs> Do warriors knock people's heads off by punching them? I don't think so. Only protect. Well, we shall see. That's a tall order to live up to. So we shall see in the next episode. Yes. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.